So Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7, Jesus is speaking. Remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching to crowds, and he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. All right, now if you have an English Standard Version Bible, you're going to see a division in the text between verse 11 and verse 12. In fact, most modern, many modern translations will put a division in the text between verse 11 and verse 12. And I think that is unfortunate because it is clear from the rendering, it's clear from the original language, it's clear from even the translation of the original language that verse 12 is a continuation of the thought. All right? There should not be a division in the text there. The King James does not put a division there, but there are no divisions in the King James. They don't put section headings in the King James. So just to be clear, there's a reason I included verse 12 in the, in the reading this morning because Jesus is continuing his thought from ask, knock, or ask, seek, and knock all the way down to do to others the way you want to be, treat others the way you want to be treated. If you have been around Christian circles for any length of time, I mean about five minutes maybe, if you've been around Christian circles for five minutes, I am sure that you have heard this passage, ask, seek, knock, or some version of it maybe several times. And I, I, to be honest with you, I struggle to recall any other text in Scripture, though, that has been more casually abused than this one. Boy, it's, they take it and run it through the ringer. <laughs> um, there are a lot of Scripture that gets abused in the Bible. I mean, a, a ton of abuse of Scripture that we see going on uh, through, from all kinds of places. But this one, ask, seek, and knock, this one seems to get a lot of attention and a lot of abuse across the board. I mean, it gets abuse from the pulpit all the way down to the pew, all the way out into the streets, just mangled uh, in the application and, and administration of it. People throw this phrase around as a way of convincing themselves that they should receive whatever it is that they wish for. They use it as a way to obligate the God of eternity to granting their wishes. And this right here, this passage, ask, seek, knock, whoever asks, receives, whoever seeks, finds, to the man who knocks, it will be open. This passage is, it receives so much violence from the selfish, name it and claim it crowd, it's just backwards the way that they use it. Jesus said, ask and receive, seek and find, knock and it will be open. And it's twisted to mean that whatever I ask God for, that God is obligated to give it. Whatever I look for, God is obligated to show it to me. And whatever door of opportunity that I knock on, God is obligated to open that door up to me. And church, I tell you this morning, that simply cannot be. Amen. 
God is, if he is obligated to do whatever I ask, that effectually puts me in charge. It makes me the Lord over him. It reduces God to a genie in a bottle. And just so you get the clear point and the real horror of that analogy, the, the genie in, in that scenario, you all know about the genie in the bottle, right? You've all heard the story. You've seen Aladdin. The genie in the bottle has all the power, but he has no authority. The person holding the bottle has no power, but all authority. Power is impotent if it has no authority. That's why Jesus didn't say in Matthew 28, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. He said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's because power without authority is nothing more than slave labor. But power with authority that's sovereign. That's sovereign. The uh, abusive manipulation of this text is so widely seeded in our cultural Christianity. Now, listen to my words. Cultural, not biblical, and lowercase c, Christianity. That it, to try to add some clarity to it, to try to rein in some of the abuse of it, to try to refocus it to what Jesus is actually saying, it is surely met by some, maybe even by many, with disbelief. Oh, I don't believe what he says. With flat-out dismissal. And even in a, a tiny church like ours, there are bound to be people who, when I get through saying what I say, will just flat-out dismiss me over it. Because it contradicts, it does not mesh with the subtle, yet very much their views, notions of God as genie in a bottle. It, 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 I'm telling you, it's seeded in the cultural nature of the, the version of Christianity that so much of us grew up hearing. Some people might even get angry over it. You can't tell me that that doesn't say what it says. Well, I, yeah, it does say what it says. You're just, you're just not reading it right. <laughs> Amen. 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 See, the thing is, people don't like it when you knock over their idols. They just they get a little uh, upset over it. Our Lord has said, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. This is a great text to be sure. It is, it is a great text full of great promises, and it promises great things. And I want to highlight those great things for you this morning. But let me be clear from the outset, in case you haven't gotten it just yet, Jesus is not talking about having your dream car or your dream job. He's not talking about health and wealth, and he's not talking about success in this life when he says, ask, seek, and knock. And I hope that when we're done this morning that you will see that. What he is giving us is so much greater. So with all of that, let's, let's get into it. There is another very familiar text that we see this morning in, in the reading. We started out with ask, seek, and knock. Everyone's heard that, right? Uh, just about every believer and many non-believers are familiar with that, with that text. But there's another one at the very end that we mentioned 
that everyone knows. Even little children are taught this, even in secular schools. Do to others the way you want them to do to you. Right? That's the text we ended with. Most people know it as the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Or as Jesus put it in verse 12, So, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, what does this have to do with ask, seek, and knock? I'm glad you asked. Before I get to that, though, um, I want to try to take this out of the realm of cliché, out of the realm of witty moralisms and show you just how truly supernatural this thing is that Jesus is telling us to do in verse 12 when he says to treat others the way you want to be treated. Whatsoever you wish that others do to you, do also to them. We are naturally inclined as human beings to treat others not the way we want to be treated, but the way that they treat us. That's the natural inclination of our heart. In our natural state, we tend to be very reactive in our goodness toward others. If they're good to me, I'll be good back. If they're ugly to me, I'm going to outdo their ugliness. Because I want them to be sorry for what they did to me. I want them to know that they can't treat me like that. I'm going to really outdo their ugliness. We have a hard time outdoing goodness, but ugliness, boy, we get all over that. Someone's good to me, I'm inclined to be good back to them. That's just, that's human nature. That's human nature. But let's see if we can drill down a little bit here. Look at the words that Jesus uses. He says that whatever we wish that others would do to us that we should do, we should do that to them also. Now, I didn't, I didn't see any qualifiers in his statement about who the others were. Whatever, whatsoever you wish that we do, that others would do to you, do also to them. There, these, this rule, this command, it just isn't for those people who are my friends. It's not just for those people who look like me or act like me or dress like me or think like me. It's not just for those people. He said for others. That's everybody. Others means everyone, all others, even the ones that don't like you very much. Even the ones that, that uh, openly are hostile toward you. Do you remember back in chapter 5? Boy, that was so long ago when we covered chapter 5. That Jesus w- was talking and, and he, he was giving the, those um, antithesis statements. Do you remember that? You have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. He said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye. Right? But I say, you have heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But what do he say? I say, love your enemies. That's Matthew 5, verses 43 through 44. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, if Jesus commands us to love our enemies, and we talked about that, he commands us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Don't you think that he includes them in the others here? Amen. Our good deeds to others are not limited to our friends or our, our fellow Christians or other people that, that might treat us well, people that we like. Not limited to those people. Others is everybody, even those who hate us. I just think about that. 
What an amazing act of faith and trust it is to treat someone with kindness who you know will trample on it. And the thing is, it can't be based on trust in that other person. Right? I can't treat them with kindness, trusting that they will treat me with kindness back. It's not a trust in the other person. I have to treat them with kindness, trusting in the God who is good to me. This is the big idea. You know, when it's an act of faith to be kind and generous and merciful and humble and gentle to people who are actively trying to seek your harm, who are actively looking to, to I mean, I don't, I mean, they're enemies. That's what the Bible says. They're enemies. That's what enemies do. They want harm for you. And so the, Jesus says, treat them the way you want them to treat you. Be kind to them. Be good to them. Be merciful and humble to them. And that, that's the big idea. You know, it's the, it's the extreme scope of the commandment. Do good to those. Love those who are enemies to you. That's like, that's like the, the whole far end of it. I mean, we want you to know the extreme. And I want you to know the extreme. And it's good to see the extreme so that we know just the breadth of what this command is. And so we're humbled by what this command is asking us to do. The sheer scale of it. I can't do that without help. That's a big idea. That's the big scale. I often find it helpful, though. I mean, it's good that we look at the big idea. It's good to know the scale, but it's very helpful to, to bring it back into, you know, what I might actually practically face in a day. It's almost easy for me to say, yeah, I'd be gracious and humble and kind and gentle to someone who is actively seeking, to an, to an enemy, someone who wants to harm me. Because the, the thing is, I, I'm rarely, if ever, in that situation. I mean, I, I can't tell you the last time I came into contact with someone who I knew was out to get me, who was wanting to put me in danger or wanting to harm me, in, whether professionally or personally or physically or whatever. I can't tell you when the last time I was in contact with someone like that who I was confident this guy is an enemy, right? So it's easy for me to say in the extreme, oh, well, if that ever happened to me, yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd be faithful Christian, and I'd, I'd be humble, and I'd be kind and courteous, and I'd be gracious. Let's take it out of the extremes, bring it a little bit closer to everyday experience. What about the people who just tend to rub you the wrong way, Right? You know, you've all got them <laughs> in your life. Some of you, you may work with them. You may even live with them. I don't know. <laughs> they just get on your last nerve, right? And you just, what you just, I just don't want to be around. I'm not talking about you, baby, no. <laughs> I am not. You just don't want to have anything to do with them because they just grate on your nerves. The thing is, do you treat them the way that you want others to treat you? Are you kind? Are you gracious? Are you good? Do you go out of your way to help? Are you generous? What about people who have different politics than you?
Back in verse 12, our text this morning in Matthew 7, So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So point number one, others means everybody. Point number two, whatever means everything. Notice that Jesus said, whatever you wish. He does not say, if there are a few things that you wish others would do to you, do these also to them. The word whatever, it literally means everything whatsoever. So that's, that's very broad. It's very broad. So put yourself in the shoes of other people. Imagine how you would feel in their situation. And the things that you would want from other people if you were in that situation. Whatsoever might include things like, I don't know, mowing your neighbor's yard when he's gone on vacation or out of town or whatever. It, It might include inviting a lonely friend out to dinner. That person who grates on your nerves because your personalities just clash, it might mean sending them a note of encouragement. Say, hey, I appreciate you. Have you ever found yourself sitting and thinking, I wish that so-and-so or somebody would help me with, guess what? You just have something you can do for somebody else. Everything whatsoever. And this commandment, the golden rule, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, is a big commandment. And I don't, I don't want to be guilty of overstating or overemphasizing a single text, but I cannot think of another commandment in the scripture that is treated quite like this one. Now, look at the ground statement. Jesus said, for this is the law and the prophets, right? That's what comes at the end of, of verse 12. Whatsoever other people that you want other people to do to you, do also to them for because this is the law and the prophets. Now, when Jesus was asked, if you remember, when they asked him, Jesus, why don't you tell us what is the greatest commandment? I mean, there we have all these laws, we have the commandments. Why don't you tell us what's the most important one? They're trying to trick him, right? But Jesus, what did he say? He said, the most important law, the greatest commandment is that number one, before anything else, you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, right? And then he said, without skipping a beat, he said, the second is likened to it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets is, is bound up in loving God with everything you've got and treating other people the way you want to be treated. Amen. The Apostle Paul echoed that in Galatians 5.14. He said, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole book of Leviticus is full of laws about how to treat other people. And Jesus says not only once, but multiple times, he says that if you just treat others, do to others the way you want them to do to you, you will fulfill the whole law. Boy, that's huge. That's big. And it's difficult to overstate that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to make this seem like it's impossible to treat others the way you want to be treated. But it is. Not without help. Not without help. We can't do it in our own strength. It is the glorious fulfillment of the law to treat others the way that we want to be treated. Uh, The book of Isaiah said that God in his righteousness makes the law glorious. 
It is to the righteous glory of God that we treat others the way we want to be treated. And none of that's coming out of the blue. I mean, Jesus didn't just drop this, this statement down out of nowhere. He set it up. In Matthew 5, verse, way back again in chapter 5, verse 16, he said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine, your light. And it's, what is the light? It's clearly stated in the following words, so they may see what? Your good works. That's your light, your good works. Treat others how you want to be treated. So that they will see your good deeds, your overflowing generosity, your overflowing kindness, your overflowing gentleness, your overflowing love that is your light. Let it shine so that God is glorified. Amen. The freedom and the power through faith to do to others in the way that Christ commands us only comes from knowing this is where we get to the rest of the text, only comes from knowing that you have a good Father in heaven who hears you and is always present and available and only ever gives good gifts to his children. Amen. 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 Now here's the ground of our, of our commandment this morning. Matthew 7 verse 11, just one, one verse back up from so whatever others you want others to do to you, do to them. Back up one verse to verse 11. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, good things to those who ask him? The freedom and the power to do to others in the way that Christ commands us only comes from knowing God is a good Father. How much more will your father He's talking to his children. Jesus is talking to people who are children of God. Amen. He says, "Your father, Jesus is talking to God's children, and if you are God's child, then this is for you. This is what He has for you. And this is where we get to the great promise in the text. But before I, I go too deep into that, I want to tell you a story about um, fatherly gifts, if I could. So in our house, we have, I mean, we don't have a big house. It's, it's tiny, right? Our living room's pretty small. And um, when the girls were little, growing up, you know, I've got my own chair that I sit in because it's dad's chair, right? And then we had another chair that, that Brianna would sit in. That's my oldest daughter. And, and Casey, God bless her, she took the whole couch, <laughs> I mean, and that's okay. She works hard. She, she, I mean, you want to stretch out on the couch, stretch out on the couch. But that often meant that my youngest daughter, Michaela, and don't get me wrong, she never complained about it, but she often wound up in the floor. So we'd be getting together, watching a movie or whatever, and, and, and you know, she made the most of it. She'd get her pillows together, and she'd, you know, make herself a little nest in the floor just the way she, she loved to do it. But after a while of this, I, I thought, I just, we can do better than that. I'm a, I'm a good dad. I can do better than that. So um, I got online, and I wanted to get her something to sit in. I was going to get her her own chair. Brianna has her own chair. Dad has his own chair. Casey has a whole couch. I'm going to get Michaela her own place to sit. And I didn't want to just get anything. I wanted her to have something really cool. 
I mean, a really cool place to sit. So that any time that she sat in this, this chair, it, she'd be like, my dad's awesome, you know? So I got online, I was like, and I found, I found these, like, they're like high-end bean bags, right? Because there's no beans in them. It's full of memory foam. So you sit down in this thing, and it's, it's like sitting on a cloud. And, and they've got them in all different sizes. they got them, you know, two feet wide diameter, three feet, five feet. I got her a five-foot one. Our living room's not that. This, this thing, when it's fluffed up, it stands up about this tall. It's huge. Three people can sit in it. I wanted to give her something lavish. Was it practical? Absolutely not. It takes up the whole living room. <laughs> and she loves it. I can't tell you how many naps she's taken in that thing. And, and she, every time she plops down in it, it just, it just thrills me because I know that she loves it. And I did that. And I wanted to get her something that, that she thought was awesome. My dad's awesome. And it gives me great joy seeing the good gift I gave her and how much she loves it. It's not practical. It's lavish. I lavished her because I wanted her to have something that she'd think, wow, dad's good. And she does. I think I'm a pretty good dad. <laughs> but if you look at verse 11, Jesus says, if you then, who are evil. Now don't, don't read that too quickly, because we like to read this passage, and we read that really quickly. If you then who are evil like to give, and we look, oh, well, he's comparing us to God, right? Your Father in heaven will give good gifts to you, and, and you're evil, and you know how to give good gifts. We just, we just read past that. He just called his disciples evil. So you're, you're not good. You're wicked. You're evil. As good as you think you are, you're wicked and evil. That should shock us. It should stop us dead in our tracks. Being wicked, though, you still know how to give good gifts to your children. There's something about being a dad that makes even a wicked dad want to give good gifts to your children. Now, not every dad is that way. Not every dad is a good dad. The thing is, in all of your goodness, on your, on your best day, your goodness as a dad is not even in the same universe as God's goodness as a father. And that's, that's the big promise, number one. You have a great father, not just a, a good father, but an infinitely good father. You search the world over, all throughout history, search everybody in the world, every dad that's ever, ever lived, find the best dad ever, and God is infinitely better at being a father than that guy. Amen. Not everyone has a good dad. Not everyone's dad is as good as my girl's dad. Not everyone has a loving dad here on earth. The point is, here's the point. Don't ever limit your understanding of God's goodness as a father to your experience of dads here on earth. He is infinitely better. God is always and only ever good to you. 
And he, he made us sons and daughters. Remember I said that he's talking to children, right? He's talking, Jesus is talking to children of God. God made us sons and daughters by giving us the most precious gift, the greatest gift in Christ. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The point is, God has already given us the the most holy, the most precious, the most enduring gift ever, the gift of being made sons and daughters by and through His Son, Jesus Christ, to be able to call Him Father. All that demonstrated to us because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and completed His work on the cross. Now we get to the initial statement back in verse 7, ask Seek and knock. Jesus is making a plea to us here. He's saying, guys, pray. Talk to your good Father. All of these things, asking, seeking, knocking, that's what they are. They're prayer. In Luke 11, Jesus says the very same thing. He uses the very same words, ask, seek, knock. Whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. Whoever knocks, it will be open to him. But it is an answer to a question that the disciples ask him. They said, Lord, teach us to pray the way that John teaches his disciples. And so then Jesus, in answer to that question, he goes through, he gives them an abbreviated uh, example of the Lord's Prayer. He takes them through that, just a shorter version, and then he tells them the parable of the persistent friend without skipping a beat, the persistent friend, and oh, I I wish, I would love to go there to Luke 11 and break that down for you, the persistent friend. I just don't have time for it this morning. But without skipping a beat, he goes right from from, um, that to, and I tell you, it will be given, everyone who asks will be given, and you you will seek, you will find, and if you knock, it'll be opened. He says that almost without, without skipping a beat, almost word for word what, what he says here in, in Matthew. And it's an answer to the question, Lord, teach us to pray. So very quickly, why does he say that in three different ways? Why does he say ask and seek and knock? Why those three things? I want you to think about who is the object of the asking. Who is the, the recipient of the asking and seeking and knocking? Who is expected to answer? Who is expected to show? Who is expected to open? It's the Father. Right? Jesus tells us to ask. Who? Ask the Father. To seek. Who? Seek the Father. To knock. On whose door? The Father's door. Think about it this way. All of us at, at different times in our lives will experience God in, we'll feel him either really close to us at sometimes, like he's in the room, and at other times it might feel like he's, he's distant. And, and there are various reasons for that. It, it, it may be that God has pulled himself away a little to cause you to seek. And it may be that there's sin in our lives that, that have separated us, that have put a, a wedge between us. Not, not, Closed us off, but a wedge. And so we have to go looking. So, I mean, think about it. You know, John Piper puts it this way. He says, if your dad's in the room with you, 
and, and you need something from him, what do you do? You just look up and ask him. Hey, Dad. But let's say Dad's out in the yard and he's mowing the yard or he's working in the shop or whatever. He's not, he's not where you're at and you need something from him. What do you do? You go looking for him. Amen. You go seeking. Or what if Dad's in his office or in his study and the door's closed and you need something? What do you do? You go and you knock on the door. There's different experiences of, of God in our lives. Ask, seek, and knock. Jesus is telling us that you will always, always have access to your Father. Amen. No matter what stage you're in or what, how you're experiencing Him. If He seems far off, just seek Him and you'll find Him. Amen. If He seems closed off, just knock and He'll open. He will never yell at you and tell you to go away. Amen. He will never yell at you and tell you, not right now, I'm too busy for you. He will never lock the door to keep you out. Jesus is telling us you always have access to your Father who only gives you good gifts. Amen. No matter how close or how far away you may feel, He is always available and present for you. Infinitely better than any earthly father. As good of a dad as I think I am. I've never... I cannot say I've always been present for my children. I cannot say I've never said, not right now, I'm too busy. You'll never hear that from your father Amen. in heaven. He loves you and he is only ever good to you. So let me, let me see if I can quickly tie all this together to get you guys... Out of here at a decent hour. Jesus bookends the golden rule. That's Matthew 7, 12. He ends it with, for this is the law and the prophets. But he starts it with so. If you have a King James, it's therefore. What have I told you about those words? We look for those words because they matter, Right? What so means, what therefore means, is that he is concluding an argument, whatever has come before. It is connected to what comes before. He is concluding what he said previously. He is making a concluding statement on the basis of what he's already said before, on the basis of act, ask, seek, and knock, and it will be given to you. It will be, you will find it. It will be open to you. Your, your father only gives good gifts. You who are evil know how to give good gifts. Imagine how much more good your father in heaven, who is only good, will give to you. Therefore, whatever other people, whatever you want other people to do to you, do to them. Amen. However you want other people to treat you, you treat them. It's a concluding argument. He could be summing up or concluding the whole Sermon on the Mount here, but given the context and given that there's more that comes after it, I think he's talking directly about ask, seek, and knock and the good Father that we have. Amen. So here he tells us that God is our loving Father. Always give good things to those who ask. So, therefore... Because God is so generous, kind, and gracious to us, and has been so lavishly generous and kind and gracious to us, then we are to be lavishly generous and kind and gracious to others. The golden rule is the glorious 
overflow of God's goodness to us. That's the strength behind it. That's how we do it. All the power to live in it that we need, we can access through prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. Because He is good, He only ever gives good gifts. And He is always available. And always good to you. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you once again for your word. I pray that it is light and life to us. Lord, you are good to us. Help us to be cognizant of that, Lord. Help Make that real to us, Lord. Unbind, untether your goodness from our, our experiences here. Lord, and tether it to the goodness you have shown us in Christ and the, the goodness of your word. Lord, that we can look at you and no matter where we're at, no matter what, how far away we feel, no matter how desperate we may feel, you are always as close as the mention of your name. We merely need to ask, seek, or knock, and you are there to open the door for us, to welcome us into fellowship, Lord. Not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to take that into the world, to, to just overflow with the goodness you are, have given us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.